Hey, everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone. And I said, that sounds like Hermes Sadler. He said, it is Hermes Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley trying to record this podcast and leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I am back. You are. You are back. And this is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. And we have Sadler and the Senator here. And doing? I took off I took off more time than our uh third leg of this operation normally, and that's our old buddy Chef Chef Moss. Chef Moss <laughs> is a busy man right now. He is changing South Heel as the member of the town council, selling cars at Boyd, Dodge Ram, out there in South Heel. I think he's, you know, making transitions in terms of his wife's business, memory makers. I mean, the man is doing all this stuff, doesn't have time for us, but we still miss him and love him and can't wait to have him back on the show sometime soon, right? He's just, a tycoon. It's, <laughs> he is a tycoon. and uh, But at least it's nice to have you back, buddy. We had, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. We did, uh, we took a week hiatus uh, just because... You were busy. I was busy. Actually, I was in Portsmouth for the week um, trying a case, a real tough case. I'd actually talked about it earlier on uh, an earlier episode of the show. Uh, one, it was great, a big victory. It was it was a really hard-fought case, but we never lost the field from the moment we started uh, defending and, and, and prosecuting the case. And so it went really well for us. But So I was out of pocket. You were out of pocket. You've been knee-deep in campaigning, getting ready as we're uh, one week away, it seems like, from the primary that you have there in the 17th district. How's it going? It's been a lot, a lot of hard work by our team. It seemed like, and you've been through way more of these than I have, obviously, it seemed like it was so far away, and then it seems like one morning I woke up and, you know, bam, here we are, two weeks, and then today, one week, you know, so as we're taping this today on, on Tuesday, one week from today, we'll be starting to uh, kind of figure out how things uh, wrap up and actually one night last week while you were in Portsmouth I actually uh, some friends of mine Smokey and Sheila Glover from Portsmouth you know my 17th district has part of the Churchland area of Portsmouth and they hosted an event for me so we came down and I spoke to a group of supporters uh, down in Portsmouth and then tomorrow night I've got a, a big event over in Smithfield Virginia uh, I'm not even sure if I told you this but uh, Charlie Daniels lives in Smithfield. His son, Cliff Daniels, is crew chief for Kyle Larson in the Cup Series, working mm. for Hendrick Motorsport. 
So uh, Cliff's dad, Charlie, has got a got a business, a uh, a uh, auto automotive repair shop, and they upfit cars and things. And and uh, so he's hosting an event for me tomorrow night in uh, in Smithfield. So and then we've got pretty much stuff going on uh, all day and every night. And when I'm not talking to you, I'm also during the day. I've been you know doing a lot of door knocking myself. So we've been out trying to get it done and. Uh, but one one week from today, we'll uh, we'll start figuring it out. So where do you think you are right now? I mean, you know, the last week, that's the height of insanity. Things are going at a higher rate of speed than they are before. You're trying to get everything in. You're, you're buying the last bit of advertising you can do. You're door knocking the last bit you can do. You're going to these meet and greets. You're going to the get out the vote rallies, the GOTVs, as we said. Uh, you're a first-time candidate for the Virginia State Senate nomination, Republican nomination for the 17th District. Uh, that is a... Senate districts that's probably going to determine who's in the majority, whether Republican or Democrat, in the state Senate could have a huge impact on what happens in the Commonwealth of Virginia for the next two years, let alone the next four years, because that's that's what these terms are. You've been carrying through this journey, man, and really have been dedicated to it. I mean, one of the hardest working candidates I've ever seen. What's your impressions now as we as we record this journey that from you know, from activist and, and just small business owner to, to standing up against uh, unconstitutional laws passed by the General Assembly, standing up for small businesses, deciding to throw your hat in the ring, stepping forward with that courage, and then really embracing it to try to make a change, not only just in your area in Southside, but also through the Commonwealth of Virginia. Man, what, what, what are your general impressions, looking back and where you are today? And then we'll talk a, bit, a little bit about where you go from here. Yeah, um, I've just tried to stay really um engaged and on point on what my obligations are because not only am I you know trying to be a huge part of this campaign which I have but I've also got a business to run and so in, in the in the mornings I'm working on you know dispatching trucks and things of that nature and you know having meetings and conference calls related to the campaign but also getting out door knocking and attending events and you know trying to raise money I mean I, I mean that a lot of things have changed I would say in the last two months uh, two months ago, um, I would say I gave I would give our campaign probably a a thirty five or forty percent chance of winning. But as I'm talking to you, I really and truly think this this is fifty fifty. I think it's a toss up. I think, and that is despite the fact of all the opposition that we have from the establishment in Richmond. They, it's it's my little group against the entire Richmond establishment. It appears, and I mean I'll be honest, that's kind of frustrating because they. They want to paint a picture of me that, you know, that I'm some kind of an outlaw or some kind of, you know, somebody who would not uh, work with uh, the governor to, to get his agenda passed, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I think the right kind of candidate can not only work with the governor and his team to advance his agenda, but also have the people of the 17th district have their issues and wants and needs be a top priority as well. And so uh, that's. I've never understood, you know, why why people think that a candidate uh, can't do both. But there there is certainly a lot of opposition uh, to me as a candidate from the establishment in Richmond. But that's done nothing more than, you know, embolden our campaign, and it's made all of our team get more focused, work harder, because we've got to find ways to to do things to, you know, to to make up for that. Because she certainly is the, I guess you could call her the darling of the of the establishment. And I don't know why, but uh, the good news is uh, the people in Richmond, they can give money and they can, 
encourage people and she can, you know, if, if this race is about how many endorsements candidates get from uh, establishment politicians, I lose. But this is not about that. This is about the people of the 17th district voting on who they want to go represent them and try to get things done to make their lives better. And uh, again, I, I think um, I think we're sitting in a great position and we have a great chance for success next Tuesday. Well, I tell you, the uh, powers that be in Richmond and the chattering class, we call the lobbyists, have certainly been watching this race. And and your opponent has been putting some pressure on them for financial support using what would be her incumbency as a House of Delegates member to try to press them in a primary where they usually stay out in terms of that kind of money. But we haven't seen that happen. But then she's also been twisting arms, it appears, or, or getting people to get on board from that establishment like you talk about. I mean, some of the surprises that we've seen. Uh, Winsome Sears came out and endorsed her. Uh, Governor Yunkin came out and endorsed her. I know he's trying to play the middle the best he can, but but I think he felt he needed to. And I think also, Hermie, it comes right down to why. And part of that reason is it's you and me. You know, we took on the establishment. We took them on. You know, we sued Governor Northam to, to keep skill games alive in our small businesses that saved them during the pandemic. We said it was an unconstitutional law. As everybody who's listened to this before knows, we got an injunction. They went back into the budget. Uh, certain people who were at the head of the budget, a Democrat and a Republican, a Republican in the House, wrote another god-awful piece of legislation into the budget, and we got a second injunction to keep those skill games alive for those small businesses, and they look at you and me as the enemy. I mean, I'm even hearing that they're trying to do whatever they can do to, to mess with a, the New College Institute, a place where I'm the chairman of the board of directors. We're trying to lift that up as an educational institution. Anything they can do to wield their power personally with an animus as sort of revenge for standing up for the Constitution, standing up for small business. I mean, that that blows me away. And at the same time, I think the voters that are going to go out in these primaries, especially like yours, know the difference. They're not that gullible. I, I don't think there's a lot of people say, well, I'm going to wait and see what Governor Yunkin says or the person who he says I should vote for. I don't think people work that way. But that's how they think. And they think they're going to get one up on us. And even some of the people that I've seen donate to her campaign are the very people that have mocked us, have tried to defeat us, have filed amicus briefs in the Supreme Court against your position before you were a candidate. And they're giving her money. And it can only be because you're willing to step up and fight for the little guy. I mean, what does that tell you? Well, I'm going to say a couple of things. Number one. All the endorsements that you talked about, all of the money that not only legislators and their PACs and the establishment and all their PACs and all the lobbyists, they're all going, they're pushing all their chips in on Emily. And because I guess she's a known commodity. Um, what that does for me, because I look at things from a completely different point of view, and it's not always a political point of view, that puts all the pressure on them. It puts all the pressure on her. And as, as, as I said, and as you just said, the people that I've been focused on working with and getting my message to are the people that are actually going to get to walk in and, and make the votes. And, you know, the endorsements are discouraging to me because well, they're I don't, meant, I, they're I mean, meant to be that way, dude. They're, they're trying to take yeah. the will out of you. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, um, I just don't think in any race that the governor or the um, 
lieutenant governor, you know, these people should be getting involved in primaries, period. But I don't make the law. I don't make the rules, uh, all those kind of things. But I'll say this, and I mean this in the most respectable way possible. Jesus Christ himself could endorse Emily Brewer and is not going to make her a conservative. So <laughs> it's it's just one of those things where, you know, she is trying really hard to make herself out to be, in her words, a battle-tested conservative. And the fact of the matter is, she's just not a conservative. And I think the people of the 17th Senate District want a conservative. And more importantly than that, Bill, I think the people of the 17th District want somebody they can trust. Yeah. And I'm going to just say this, we're getting close to the end, regardless. There has not been one single shred of truth and anything that my opponent, Emily Brewer, has said about me or my family since the day this campaign started, from the Louise Lucas narrative. And you think of that. We've already proven, you know, they, after spending $10,000 plus looking into my personal life and our businesses, looking around, calling local law enforcement departments, hey, have the Saddlers done anything? We can get them on, you know, these kind of things. Nothing. They were even asking for nine one one calls to your truck stops to try to find something. Yeah, that's right. Anything. And that's and ridiculous. So what they did was they took a picture of you know me and my brother and Louise Lucas at a public event at the Capitol. As public figures, we took pictures, and you were there. We took pictures with just about every legislator in the building. Pages, you name it. Everybody at the Capitol, we did it. Yeah, it was big they time. They take that picture, crop my brother out of it. And then more egregious than that, delete the second half of a social media post that I make where I say, even though Louise Lucas is my senator, I don't agree with her politically, but I don't take it personally. They deleted the whole second half of that. And, you know, I just think that, let me just say this, as a resident of the 17th Senate District, it is concerning to me that someone with six years of legislative experience in the House of Delegates feels like the best way for them to try to get their message across or to get people to vote for them is to do nothing but lie about the opponent yeah. instead of touting your own record of success. Here's what I did in the last six years. If you give me a, a promotion to the Senate, here's what I plan to do. And how can anybody that my opponent is lying to about me, how are any of those people exposed, supposed to believe that if she wins the election on lies, is she all of a sudden on day one going straighten up, tell the truth to the to the people she's representing? It just, I mean, in the real world, it just don't happen that way. Yeah, and it makes so, no sense. But think uh, think about it this way too: she's not only lying about you. If that's you know, and I know these things to be false, and I've heard what she's said, but I've talked to the chattering class. You know, again, the lobbyists and the people up in Richmond in the know, and she's been telling him that all of the recordings that you've had on or that's been on moderateemily.com. The ones you've even played on prior podcasts, those are manipulated, that someone has manipulated her voice or cut things out, or that's not really her, when it is her. I mean, she's willing to even lie about her own self. You know, she hasn't said anything that I can see about her Twitter, um, her Twitter, her tweets where she said, you know, bad things about President Donald Trump. And we'll talk about what's going on with him in a little bit here, too, but... but you know, it's amazing that she lies, according to what we're seeing here, she's lying about you, but she's also lying about herself. She can't even own up to her own words. You know, you and I had this philosophical discussion and said, 
What do you do at that point? You go, yeah, I was young back then. I wasn't thinking properly. I mean, that would be honest. Or yeah, I really think that way. No, it's, oh, they're manipulating my voice, which is crap. I mean, that's ultimate uh, crap. Yeah, I've said this on more than one occasion. I'm not running because I want to be a senator. I'm running because I really and truly think that the people of this district need better representation. And I think a better candidate would lead to better representation of this area. But I would never in my lifetime feel like that I needed to lie or cheat or steal or deceive the voters, especially, I'm going to tell you that, Bill, I know politicians or people running for office are not supposed to think this way, but the elderly people that I go talk to, you know, the 70, 75-year-olds that are really and truly worried about what things are going to be like when, when they're gone and their kids and grandkids are coming along, and they've got a candidate that is actively lying and, and trying to deceive them and trying to, you know, and I, I just, I, I'm not going to lie about anybody, including my opponent, to try to win an election. We built that website and took all of her recordings and her voice and her tweets and put them up on the website, moderateemily.com, unedited, unchanged, un, just and just tell the people, you go listen and look at that and you make the decisions for yourself. But I can promise and swear that we have not and would never manipulate change edit anything, any kind of information that we want the voters to take in consideration when they're trying to vote for their Republican candidate uh, in the 17th Senate district. It's just, you know, I guess it just goes back to that saying when, when you lie, you know, when you have to lie to win, you just assume sometimes that the other people are having to lie to, and that has not been the case. And it's very disappointing, especially somebody that is held in such apparently high regard by people uh, in the upper chambers of our government. They apparently don't know this person as well as they think they do. Well, I don't even know if it's about holding someone in high regard. This is political expediency, okay? Number one, you look like a guy that if the people of the 17th District nominate you as a Republican, you look like a guy that can win. You can beat Clinton Jenkins. But you look like a guy that's going to stand up for the people and not walk in lockstep with those people that are already up in Richmond. That's been, I guess, my problem, even though I've been the minority and majority whip, was that I'm just not going to, I'll be loyal, but I'm not going to play ball blindly, especially when it comes to doing what's right based on my principles and doing what's right, what's based on the needs of Southside and Southwest Virginians. So you look like a scary thing to them because you can't be pigeonholed. You can't be cajoled. You can't be controlled. You can't be talked to and say, you have to vote for this on this way because of this special interest. You're not that person. That should be very electric to the candidate and to the to the voter. Uh, but it's a threat to their already elected. And she brings with her, based on what I've seen, and this is my opinion. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying one way or the other. But on this race. But what I'm saying is that elected official has been someone who has gone along to get along, and at the cost of the people she represents, because. She prefers to be called delegate than by her first name because it means power to her. And so what they trade is their own. These type of politicians, these elected officials trade their own principles in order for them to gain some sort of power or recognition for what they are. And that's why, to me, uh, I'm growing 
kind of disillusioned with politics. You know, I, I've always gone in there, always stick to the principles, always fight for what I think is right. But the numbers are growing of the people like that, and there's less of people like you. And that's why I think the 17th um, district voter needs to be able to make that decision of who they really want in there. Do they want somebody that's going to go in there and beg for a committee and, and promise to vote yes on bills that they've never seen that might be hurting uh, the people that they represent? Or do they want somebody who's going to go in there with the life experience, doesn't care being called senator, wants to get a job done? Uh, for me, that's, you know, that's how I live my life. I think it's the way you live your life, and that's the decision that's going to be made on Tuesday. But it also appears to me, Herm, that, that they are desperate because I've seen some polls, some real good polls, where when you start out, yeah, you had a big gap because people knew her, people didn't know you. There was a difference. She was up, she was up, but she was never, you know, in the 40s and 50 range. Now what we're seeing is you've not only closed that gap, you've, you've uh, gone over top within the margin of error, a very good poll. I don't want to go too much deeper into it. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but the, what I've seen in those tabs is what I saw when I upset a 17-year a Democrat incumbent uh, some 13 years ago, which is mo. You got the momentum, and you're making a difference. And I've even seen, you know, from the poll I looked at, those numbers were dropping for her. Her unfavorables were going up, and your favorables were going up, and, and <laughs> the, the amount of real estate that you made up was amazing. Uh, but I think shows some some trend lines that will probably be very helpful. And as you said, probably make it a real close race. But I think, you know, mine was a real close race to a one by 644 votes. But it's really going in the right direction for you, for you, Hermia. And that's why she is calling in all the chips that she has. Governor Youngkin, you got to do this for me. Win some series, you got to do this for me. And she is doing everything she can in the below the level, below the line uh, politics of campaigning uh, that is dastardly and unfortunate. But I, I think it's because they smell defeat in front of them. What's it? Well, yeah, I, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, with everything that's going on and everything that she's got uh, working for her, which is the support of other people in the General Assembly and, of course, you know, the governor and the lieutenant governor and, and all that. And she's also got all of these, um, these establishment organizations like Americans for Prosperity. They have, on her campaign alone, done over $100,000 in mailers just for her. And, you know, so she is, especially in the last weeks of this campaign, she's filling up the mailbox, you know, between all these other organizations that are doing things for her and, you know, in her own campaign. And, you know, we know we're going to see a, a robocall and a video from the governor on the night before the election, encouraging people to vote for her and, you know, all those things. But as I said, um, every time that we hear of more establishment politicians and PACs and groups, supporting her, we, for some reason, get a boost in support. So some people are paying attention to that and don't like um, officials and elected officials in, the, in these special interest groups. They don't like them putting their finger on the scales of these types of races. And 
you know, but this has been going on in my race, you know, since the very beginning. We already know about the the push to try to make this a convention and all the hands that got caught in a cookie jar with that. Then we, the judge has to come in and rule on that and say, whoa, you know, this is what the people voted for. So we go down this road. And, and, and what you're talking about, just so for those new listeners and welcome aboard, uh, the nominating method for the Republican nomination for the 17th Senate District, uh, legislative district chair chose that the chair and the members of the LDC chose a primary. Emily thought, or her camp thought that they could manipulate a convention because conventions can be manipulated, moved in, took out the chair, dissolved the Suffolk committee, um, threw in their own people and tried to change it to a convention. Paperwork had already been filed. The LDC chair who showed a lot of heroism and, and courage uh, filed a lawsuit and won, and the court said that what the Brewer camp had done was illegal, and it looked like, based on the change that was made at the State Board of Elections, which is usually run by the party in power, at least the chairman is, the chairman of the commission, changed that primary to, to a convention at the urging of the party chairman, Rich Anderson, and influence from the governor's office. And they were found to have done something in violation of the law. And so now they're mad. And that's why they're coming after you. I mean, that's why all of a sudden you're not the pretty boy. But didn't you have a, you know, a little moment with the governor as well? Didn't he come and see you? Yeah, I saw him at a uh, at a fundraiser for a fellow Republican uh, legislator. And while I was there, he walked out before he went up on the stage to speak. And I uh, got a chance to speak with him. And he assured me that his involvement in this race was not personal, although I told him it felt kind of personal to me, uh, all the battles that I had been fighting. Um, but he also told me that if I'm successful, that he planned to jump in with me and be of any help that he could to help me be successful in November. So, you know, I, I, I wish it was just Emily Brewer versus Hermie. But it hadn't been that way from the very beginning. I got a lot of battles, a lot of obstacles, a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of people putting pressure on people to uh, to do things. But all that being said, we're right here with a, I would say, a 50-50 shot to, uh, to win. So, you know, we're doing some things right. And, you know, it's just going to be up to the people and then deciding how many people actually get out and, and go vote on the 20th. But I... I've said this two or three times as people have brought up to me about the governor's involvement in this race. And I'll say this to you as well. That is, if I happen to get elected to represent the 17th Senate District in the Senate of Virginia, and after my first four years in office, if I have to get the governor to call you and tell you that I've done a good job, please vote for me again, you won't have to worry about Hermie because I'll leave on my own. Hmm. So, you know, that, and that's one of the things that's really frustrating to me. Like racing wise and in the business I'm in, convenience stores, the petroleum business, you as an attorney, we are all, if you want to be successful, we're all in performance based businesses. And if you want to succeed, you have to perform. And sometimes in politics, that's not always the case. They they found a way to 
you know, keep people around when in, when in, in sometimes I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad people, but sometimes they, they uh, have different agendas and don't get things done at least to the level and to the, to the pace that I think things should get done. And, you know, it's not only that, sometimes people in politics, they're, you know, you're not, but there are some people over there that if somebody speaks out, advocates or votes against something that's important to you, you're not afraid to call that person's name. And, but a lot of people in Richmond don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to call a name. They want to keep the good old boy, the buddy system going and maybe, you know, try to keep that favor for the next go around. And so it's just a lot of things that appear to be going on in Richmond that is, you know, not in lockstep with everyday life and running businesses and in the real world, you might say. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. Well, when you're elected, um, be ready for that to be the norm, not the exception. And that's, that's really the, the unfortunate, the downside when I talk about, I'm, I'm kind of becoming disillusioned with the political system is because there's more of them, as I said earlier, than there are of us. And so there has to be more of us. There has to be more citizens that are willing to do what you did, which is you put it all on the line. You have a reputation, you have a good life. You have, you know, you work hard, but, but you've worked hard to get where you are and can enjoy the fruits of your labor and instead take on such a big burden of running. And then what you see is the people that really, they want the job so bad, they want to be delegate, they want the power, are the ones willing to sacrifice their own integrity in trying to tear you down by saying false things about you. And they're the ones that go, if they are elected to the General Assembly, and do nothing, do nothing, maybe wield some power like your opponent did by killing my bill that would have made a permanent scholarship uh, for those children that you went out and visited uh, and, and supported. Franklin High School. Uh, that would have gotten a scholarship to start the robotics program and to maintain the robotics program every year. $10,000 a year for for robotics, which is so important for the 21st century economy and educating our children and getting them to love robotics. And that person was willing to go along with the chairman who doesn't like us in appropriations in the House because we dared to stand up against them and call them out on their position supporting casinos and against small businesses and skill games and wrote in that unconstitutional law into their budget, which is something we're not supposed to do, and we fight them, we win, and what do they do? They say, we're going to get you back. Here's how. I mean, I, I've been even told about me for all of this. They say, well, you know, I mean, if we have the majority over the House, we're going to make sure you don't get one bill passed. And I said, well, guess what? I won't put a single bill in. I've already had 140 pieces of legislation I've written myself become law in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I think it could take a year off. So take that one out of your, you know, quiver. That arrow is gone. What are you going to do next? Well, then they're going to attack institutions I support. Or they're going to do other things. That is so petty. It is so damn petty what we're seeing right now. And the desperation that it's more important to be elected than to do what is right for the people. And at least, no matter what happens in this election, Hermie, you can stand with your head held high, your chin out, knowing that you never lost the character and integrity and my father said that once you give it away, because it's the most valuable thing you have, when you give it away, you never get it back. What I see is a loss of character and integrity on the other side. And, and quite frankly, I'm just not happy with the upper echelon of my party right now and the way that they've acted and the way they continue to act. You know, they see these things as a means to an end, this job. Not a responsibility to others, but a means to their own ends. And that's the unfortunate part. But, you know, when you go out knocking doors, 
what are you feeling? I mean, that's really, that's at the ground level. And all the people I have, the spies I have out in the 17th district say, they're not seeing Emily knocking those doors individually. They see you knocking those doors, now a lot of doors, and, and making that contact with the voter that's so important. What are you hearing at the doors? Well, I don't personally know what Emily's doing, you know, as far as her herself. Um, just like we talked about with the others, you know, all these outside organizations sending mail for her. I know she has several organizations outside of her own campaign door knocking for her, like all the young Republicans down in the Tidewater area. They're all knocking doors for her all day, every day. And so, you know, she's got the, she's, she's the home team, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, all of my interactions at the doors have been, have been positive. Um, I think despite all the mail that she sent that, that is, you know, telling lies and all those things. And, you know, I think the, the people realize, you know, not only is she lying about me, but they realize now because we brought some of this to light that she's not who she wants people to think she is politically speaking and socially speaking. Doesn't mean she's a bad person. Just means that she's not the conservative person that she is trying to project herself to be, to try to get people to vote for her in this, in this primary. But my, my interactions are, you know, this is my first time doing this, so I don't know how mm. to feel or, you know, I mean, we, we're going to just continue to do what we've been doing this far has, has put us in a position to have a chance to win when, you know, two months ago, we probably did not have a chance to win. So we're going to work hard and do our thing all day, every day until, you know, it gets dark or the poll, polls close um, next Tuesday. And then we'll see where we stack up and and, and go from there. But um, I made a little video to send out to people uh, later this week. I made it this morning, you know, and I just, and I truly mean this. Make sure you get it on the podcast too. I really appreciate the, the people of the 17th district opening up their homes and their lives to me and my family and my team to get to know them to the degree that we have and to, for them allowing us to give them a choice because they do have a choice and it's an important choice as to what we are expecting from our legislators in the general assembly for the next five, 10, 15 years, which means for our kids and our grandkids and otherwise, uh, if, if they're, if they like the way the government is running and thinks that, you know, um, the, the mixture is right now, then they can make that choice. But if they want to give somebody, an outsider, a chance to go actually uh, sit down and try to get things done. And, and I just believe that leadership matters. I believe that having the ability to communicate and talk and, and, and negotiate and bring people together is, um, it is a, it is something that I think can help in Richmond and we need more of that. You know, in, in the law and in politics, we call that the closing argument. And funny you should bring that up. I've got this right here, and we're going to play it right here. So let me press this button. And, I, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you got to hear to a very eloquent closing argument from Hermie Sadler. Hi, I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm running to represent you in the Virginia Senate. These days, we see establishment rhino politicians like Emily Brewer more focused on spreading lies than actually doing their job. They sell out to the special interest, and they leave we the people in the dust. 
Virginia is my home, and I'm fed up with Richmond insiders like Emily Brewer rigging the game against our families and small businesses. If you send me to Richmond to be your senator, there'll be no more indoctrination in our schools. I'll protect the Second Amendment, and I'll always stand with law enforcement. And above all else, I'll always tell it like it is and work for you, the people. It's time to fight and finally put Virginians first. I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm asking for your vote on Tuesday, June 20th. I'm Hermie Sadler, candidate for state Senate, and I paid for this ad. Damn, Hermie, you should have gotten a law degree. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you're not a lawyer. I'd be getting my butt kicked around here. Or, you know, that 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 is that's meaningful. And you know, that's something you never hear from people who run for office. That is yep. really something. And and I commend you for that. That's and, and you can tell it's just from your heart. You're just talking. And that's you know, yep. and that and that reminds me of another thing. When we see a lot of the incumbents that are up in primaries in the Democrats in, in Northern Virginia, and we're talking Dave Marsden, George Barker, Chat Peterson. I mean, over and over and over, we've got a lot of liberals that are up in primary battles. You know, you've got Louise Lucas and Lionel Spruill, but the the ones that may lose and change the, the dynamic of the Senate are have opponents. They're ones that have opponents that are completely lunatics. They're completely out there. And it's going to be so important to have somebody who's going to stand on the floor of the Senate, like with me or Mark Obenshane, uh, or Ryan McDougal, you know, the guys that actually talk on our side of the caucus, and you'd be one of those guys because you're eloquent and you're passionate, and we need to fight against the Northern Virginia liberal elites that are coming down here and dictating to us what our t- children are learning, what kind of books are in their public libraries, uh, telling parents that they have no basis in which to raise their children, that it's a government function now, where we're seeing the transing of the kids, we're seeing you know, uh, the invasion of women's athletics. And they're saying, just shut up and take it. You don't know what you're talking about. And we're fighting for our family values down here in Southside and Southwest Virginia, which makes our advocate that we elect so much more important. Let me tell you, we get another one in there, like a dude who's a senator who came over from the House of Delegates who's as quiet as a church mouse. In fact, he gets very nervous. We kind of joke about it. A very articulate guy when he doesn't have a microphone. But he's not fighting the Democrats, not fighting the Democrats. And I would think your opponent would be the same way. They'd be more worried about, do I get on the finance committee? Am I, what cocktail party am I going to? Instead of standing up and telling those Northern Virginia liberal elites like you would, sit down. Your values are not my values. I'm not going to allow that happen in our place. Our place is different. We're not going to kowtow to Northern Virginia. That's where I give you the most credit. I mean, because you're a natural speaker. You've been in front of the cameras. You've been in conflict at 180 miles an hour. That's the kind of experience I think we need in the Senate. And that's why, Hermie, uh, you know, you're my friend, and, and I'd love to spend four years with you in there, probably pulling our hair out, listening to these liberal elites from Northern Virginia. But, man, the alternative to me is another quiet mushroom sitting in their seat, loving being called senator, and not making a damn bit of difference in the Commonwealth of Virginia and preserving our values down here in Southside Virginia. And so that's why I think it's so important to get out and vote in this primary. This is going to dictate whether a Democrat wins, because I'm telling you right now, they'll, the Democrats will pour so much money in against your opponent, and you can match them dollar for dollar. As you've seen, you've already outraised your opponent by a wide margin, but you can match them not just with the money, but with the smarts and the effort. That's what they fear. 
I'm hearing even from the chattering class that Louise Lucas is saying, well, if Hermie loses and I lose to Lionel, I'm going to jump down and run in the 17th. What they could do is just knock Clint Jenkins aside, have a nominating process, put her in there, and that would be that. I mean, that's how weak they think your opponent is, and that's how the Democrats don't want to run against somebody like you. And I talked to a very prominent senator, more my age, somebody I've known for ages and ages, and we were handicapping the races. And they're like, you know, we'd do a lot better if if your opponent, Hermie, would win. And, and they're always asking questions about you. You're the enigma. You're the unknown. You know, they know that will change the, the dynamics of what the Senate would be if you sat there and fought them at every a- attempt that they made to bring socialism down to our area, to trans our kids, to teach CRT, to have have drag show queens reading story time to our kids in public libraries. You know, they, they fear you. They don't fear your opponent. Yeah. And so, you know, well, we'll see, you know, we've, we've, we're fighting a good fight and it's, uh, you know, I, I've mentioned a couple of times about the disappointment that I've had that my opponent has told all these lies and basically trying to tell people not to vote for me instead of focusing on why they should vote for her. But more disappointing than that has been the financial involvement and otherwise of people within the party and people that you work with in the Senate that uh, in some cases encouraged me to step up to the plate and to try to run and then turn around because of the you know pressure from the governor or from Todd Gilbert or whoever may be calling around and funding you know my uh, opponent. I'm looking right now at these numbers and I've been talking to a, a reporter you and I know and we're going to have him on there, Dwayne Yancey. And we're kind of handicapping this thing. I think the House is in trouble. And I hope not. I hope they maintain the majority. But even with your opponent moving over and out of her House seat, I think it puts a lot of things in peril over there that, you know, we may have just had a two-year majority of Republicans, which was a good thing. We've got to have more of it. But they need to be focusing in on that, not a race over here in the 17th Senate District. And so I find that to be disappointing. And it's motivated by grudges and how dare you stand up to them, Hermie. And just promise me that when you win, you'll stand up to them again because you'll be standing up for the small guy in the same way in your district, in the same way that you did for those small businesses and fighting that unconstitutional law that the very people that are giving money to your opponent wrote. Well, I've never understood, will not understand, you touched on this earlier, the fact that you and I or me as a plaintiff stood up against Ralph Northam to prevent an unconstitutional law from being put on the books and people being put in jail potentially. We stood up to that and I view it as, you know, people should appreciate the fact that we would, we stood up to keep an unconstitutional law off the books. Everybody now looks at it, looks at it as, Y'all foiled our plan. We took all these money, all this money from the casinos, and we promised them a monopoly. Now we can't deliver it to them just yet. We'll show you. We'll we'll continue to fund Hermes opponent um, and all these resources and other things that they're doing um, to try to make sure in their mind that she, you know, gets reelected. And so, I guess, I guess that's one of the other things that's really really frustrating for me is that. As elected officials, or if I get elected to be a senator, 
my duty, just like your duty is, and I know you take it seriously, mm-hmm. is all day, every day, keep in mind and do what is best for the people of your district all day, every day. That's right. And I I do believe that the right type of legislator can not only put the people first in the 17th, you can do that while at the same time being a team player as it relates to the conservative movement and Glenn Youngkin's agenda. I mean, the simple notion, like Emily Brewer's door knockers, and we've said this before, but they go knock on people's doors and they say, can you believe it? Hermie Sadler sued Glenn Youngkin to prevent his agenda from being passed. That could not, it, you can't tell a bigger lie because we sued Ralph Northam mm-hmm. over him signing an unconstitutional law. Then they throw the Louise Lucas. Oh, you can't vote for Hermie. He supports Louise Lucas's politics. And I am the only person in the Commonwealth of Virginia that had the you-know-whats to stand up and fight against people like Louise Lucas from using their power and influence in the General Assembly to try to get monopolies for all these casinos. Our lawsuit is in direct retaliation to the Louise Lucases of the world, and they still want to make people believe that I support Louise. And, And, Bill, one step further... It's worse than that because Emily Brewer on House Appropriations, she's been a part of multiple plans to try to accommodate Louise Lucas. Over and over again. That's a true statement. Over they are the ones that are doing again. it. again. I'm on completely the other side of the fence. I'm, and by the way, it has nothing to do with games and nothing to do with casinos. It has to do with the free market system. If we set a precedent that any industry, if they got enough power, money, and influence, wants to come to the Commonwealth of Virginia and bring a few dollars with you, not only can you come to Virginia, you get to write your own laws and rules, regardless of what everybody... And I have fought against Ralph Northam as a Democratic governor. I'm fighting against Louise Lucas as her position of power in the Senate as a Democrat and trying to get all these monopolies. I have stood up and put everything that I've got on the line to fight for what's right against these people. And my opponent, a fellow Republican, is going around saying, I mean, they they could not be lying any worse than they are. Well, think about this. Think about it that way, though. They're not telling the person at the door, they're not extolling the virtues of their candidate. They're not telling them all the great things that your opponent has done because she hasn't done anything great. Okay. She takes bills from Yunkin and shepherds them through as a part of the governor's agenda. Does she have her own independent original thought? Not in my opinion. And I've been watching it for six years. Does she vote her own way or the way that someone gives her a sign in which way to vote? Thumb up, thumb down. I would say the latter. And on top of that, what you have is someone who probably votes more with the Democrats and that the Democrats, if they're going to lose the 17th Senate district, even though they know they can beat her, if they lost and they had a choice of who they were going to lose to, they would say Emily because she's more like them than all other Republicans and that they can go and maybe swing a vote out of her when they know they're not going to get it out of you. And you know what is surprising to me? 
is I've been looking on Facebook and every everywhere I turn, the Brewer family, the Brewers, her last name, all supports you, Hermie. Now, what does that tell you? I mean, yeah. that if you if you look at her campaign, which is nothing but you know asserting lies, talking about how bad the other person is, and making it up, and not talking about the good stuff that they've done, that sounds horrible and desperate. And people are not morons like she thinks they are, or like her campaign people think they that they are. They're not. We're smarter than that. We see through that crap. You know, remember the three most important things I always told you. When you're explaining to somebody, who am I? What do I stand for? And what am I going to do for you if I'm elected? But their door-knocking strategy is, Hermie's bad. Let's make up more lies about Hermie. And, oh, let's finish with some lies about Hermie. Never talking about themselves. I'm sure everything in the mailers are attack, 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 attack. And that's why I've always told you, don't go down to their level. Remember when uh, it was Barack Obama's wife uh, said, when, when they go low, we hit them in the in the knees. We go lower. Uh, well, that's what this seems to be. And that usually uh, has the smell of death around it in a campaign, not the smell of victory. And I'm telling you, based on the poll that I've seen, and a very good poll, I see victory in your future if you keep it up for this last seven days. And, and more importantly, too, even the chattering class seems to know that that may be happening because they were asking in order, the campaign of your opponent has been asking for more money. And they're like, well, let's see some polls. Let's see some stuff. And and they give them numbers. Oh, we're way up. We're way up to way up, way up. Well, if you're way up, why do you need more money? Tell me that. Uh, shouldn't you be you know putting away money for the for the general election and not working on a primary? Two, when they pushed for what it was, it turned out to be that push poll that had all of those lies. If you be, if you knew that Hermie Sadler had a big toe emanating from his forehead, would you be more likely or less likely to vote for him? And that that's in about five podcasts back, six podcasts back. So give that a listen. It was so hilarious what they were doing. And then all of a sudden I'm getting calls, and I mean more than one call from lobbyists going, hey, man, I think we're getting hoodooed about uh, Hermie's opponent. Do you know anything? And I'm like, well, I know that's a BS poll. I didn't go into more specifics with them, but but that's what they're doing. They're so desperate to try to get some money, they're willing to use an old poll that was not even accurate, that was tainted by lies that they created in order to get a specific result that favored them in order to get more cash. So... If you take what you're saying and put it in line, she's, your opponent is lying about you. She's lying about herself and she's lying to others in order to get elected. And that to me, just as I've said before, smells of desperation. You basically, in a roundabout way, without saying it, she is actually even misleaded people in Richmond, part of the Richmond machine to encourage them to donate more money to her. Correct. Which, yeah, that's I right. I don't get it. That's, no, you're exactly right. And then all the brewers support it. you. So make up your mind based on looking at that uh, fact alone. I think that <laughs> speaks volumes, but uh, we'll let the brewers defend their own name. Uh, and certainly they support you, and they seem like very nice people. And, and I've even seen on Facebook where I guess people that thought they were friends with your opponent are now saying, you know, I've been betrayed. I mean... Ultimately, people will go out and vote, and we encourage every single person who's listening that's in the 17th district, go out and vote. Make your voice heard. And you can vote for either one of them, but go participate in the process. But then weigh the candidates and their issues and who they are as people very carefully because they have to reflect. You know, every voter really wants the person that goes up there to reflect their values. 
to know when they push that green button or the red button, a yes or a no, that they're doing it, maybe not thinking of them at the exact minute, but they're doing it for them because they reflect the same values and they would have pressed the button the same way. That's how you get elected. That's how you build trust. You don't build trust by, you know, pointing a dirty finger at somebody else. That that just shows you to be lack, I mean, lacking trust. I, 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 guess, I guess what you just see, it just really hit me. So my opponent is lying to the voters. Yes, check. They're lying to co or um, fellow legislators Check. in the General Assembly. Check. They're lying to lobbyists. Check. They're apparently lying to, I'm not going to say the governor, but the governor's team. Mm -hmm. Check. Um, I they're, mean, they're lying about themselves and they're lying to themselves. Yeah. I, I, I and mean, people want this person to be their representative in the Senate? Yeah. Okay. You know, as a, as a trial lawyer, and, and I actually got to ask this question in the Portsmouth trial that went on much longer than it should have, that I won big, and it was a big, big case. Um, I got to ask a, a witness who was lying, who said, I signed something that was a lie back in the past. And the simple question I asked him was, okay, so what you just said is you lied back then. So are you lying now, or were you lying then? And ultimately, it's a no-win answer that they can give. Either says, no, I was lying then, which means I was a liar. Or no, 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 I'm not. I'm lying now, which means I'm a liar. Either way, they're liars. And we're packing the legislative bodies throughout the United States and in the federal government with people that know how to lie better than they know how to legislate and lead. And that is the decay of society. I mean, look at where we are where, as a government, where we are allowing the government entity itself, the, the machinations of government, to set a precedent that if you don't like your opponent based on their philosophy or principles, will you just use the government entity to, to prosecute them? <laughs> Look at who's here. Hey, Haley. Hey, Haley. I'm sorry. I can hear you. I'm sorry. Hi, it's Mr. Bill. Hi, Mr. Bill. Hi, Miss Haley. How are you? She can't hear me. So what are you doing, Haley? <laughs> Nothing. What are you doing? I'm doing podcast. Uh, Daddy, uh, are you going to Suffolk today? Yeah, I'm going to Suffolk tonight, yeah. What can, what can I do tonight? Y'all you going to stay and help Ashley P? Yeah. Okay. Yes, work. Okay, I'll call you after the podcast, okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's what you fight for, isn't it? Sorry, I had to take that call. No, no, I understand, but that's what you're fighting for, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, her future, her life, oh, man. her security. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. getting back to what we were talking about, about a second ago, um, I was at a door a couple of days ago um, over in the Smithfield area, you know, and I take that back. Yes, I was Smithfield, and I, 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 I had my walk book, and I ended up going up to a guy and, a, and the, the, a gentleman and his wife who were outside actually working in the yard a little bit, and we started chatting, and I realized that I knew where he worked based on, I saw his license plate. So we started chit-chatting. This He works at a, a local um, a local kind of community bank. And I, I'm on the bank board at Bank of Southside. We started talking about banks and this and that and the other. And eventually he brought up, you know, about Emily's campaign and the, the lies and the deceit and all that. And then he brought up that one of their 
campaign people that just kind of told them that, you know, I was lying about her to your point that I had spliced voice pieces together and this and that and the other. And I told this guy, I said, listen, what my family thinks of me and what my customers think of me in the petroleum business, I deal with farmers, loggers, I deal with residential, you know, home heat accounts, people that my family has known for 50 years. I said, you know, integrity and honesty and the way we treat our customers. When somebody, when a logger calls me about buying a tractor trailer load of fuel, he's got to know that he can depend on me for what I'm telling him on what it's going to cost when he's going to get it. Uh, when I'm dealing with, you know, farmers, when they need fuel or whatever, I said, it just would never occur to me that, okay, just because this is politics, I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want to try to achieve victory. Because once, if you if you win by f false pretenses, what have you really won? And I just don't want, I don't, I know it seems to be acceptable behavior when you're campaigning for an office, but that you're supposed to be, when you're inside that building in Richmond and you're sitting there at that desk, representing the people for your of your district and when people don't look at you as somebody that is going to say and do the right thing for the people and when you've gotten there by by lying to get there I just don't know which I don't know how anybody could sit there and be proud of where they are getting there the way that some of these people attack campaigning yeah and ultimately no matter what happens win or lose you know we talked about character and integrity and it matters so much but you got to know that when you walk away you're either preparing for the general election and really convincing more than just republicans but also independents and maybe some democrats that don't like their party anymore that maybe this guy's going to represent me instead of representing an ideal or a party or or you know the trans movement or whatever but win or lose you got to walk away knowing hey man I left it all on the table. I did everything I could, but I did it with character and integrity. And 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 I think, you know, let's say let's say Hermie that you took this tact, this this kind of, you know, the strategy of employing using lies and 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 pointing fingers rather than letting the voter know who you were. How dirty would you feel if you won? I mean, how you're going into a general election and you just you just did everything that went against your principles and your and the way you were raised. I mean, how would you feel? I still can't get over the fact that. And you said it, and I think I heard you right. I can't get over the fact that. I don't know. I could never call you as a friend or a potential fellow legislator, I could not call you or anybody else that I know in the General Assembly or people around Richmond, even lobbyists and PACs, and I'll, I could never call them and purposely mislead them on poll numbers on a race to as a means to encourage them to donate to my campaign. I, I'm just telling you, I, don't, I do not understand how, how that works. I do not understand that concept of how, you know, 
hey, this looks better than that. Let me show you this to get, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't, you know, it is disappointing to see all these other people get involved in, in our race, but as upsetting as that is to me, I feel sorry for some of these people that are being coerced into getting involved based on non-factual information. Yeah, I mean, I'm and she may win and it won't make any difference. Yeah, but I've had lobbies come up to me and say, hey, look, we really love Hermie, but we're being, you know, forced. We have to. So just make sure, you know, or it's not against you personally here. It's not against Hermie. We really like Hermie. And, and if he's if he's the winner, we're behind him. It feels like they're paying debts. You know what I mean? It's like they feel like they owe it, but they don't really owe it maybe to your opponent. They owe it to the higher up that's saying, support her over Hermie. And the people up there, just like I said before, are doing it not because they think you're that she's going to be the best candidate. They're doing it because it's about control. And it's also about vengeance for what you did standing up for small businesses and uh, and for skill games throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia against unconstitutional laws, man. And, and it's amazing to me that he, there are some even out there that cheer that on, that want that, that need that, that, that really said, way to go, Hermie Sadler, way to stand up against an unconstitutional law and way to, way to stick it to Governor Northam. And then when it comes to this race, they hide in the shadows. And they're like, I don't, I don't want to get involved. I might upset those people that are seeking vengeance against you, those that are supporting her. And that's, that's again, that's politics. That's, that's why you have more a-holes in politics than you have good guys. And, and that's what we're left with in the United States. And, you know, I mentioned it just a little bit earlier, but think about where our government is going. This free society that we have, you know, Donald Trump gets indicted again, again. Uh, he should have given back the record. I'm watching him on TV right now. He says he, he makes a stop at a Miami cafe after pleading not guilty in Florida court. But look at what the precedent that started. That now means we're weaponizing the government. We're weaponizing justice system. And, and so whoever's in power will attack the opponent because it sets the table. And I'm reminded, you know, when uh, it was 2119 uh, in in. Democrat control when I first came on board, the, the committees were kind of split almost evenly, like eight, seven, 15 on a committee, eight, seven. Um, when we then became the majority 2020 with Bill Bowling, the, our leadership, Mr. Norman, and them decided to go way out and, and stack committees. And then we lost the majority. And now we complain about it. why are these committees stacked against us? It's because you set the precedent. And I said this, we should not do this. Virgil Good, one of the best congressmen and also senator, I sit in a Senate seat right now, he was the one that said we're going to do this fairly and evenly. And what you're seeing is once one political party gets the advantage, then they take it to the limit. And now what we're seeing is it's not just committees, it's now prosecutions. And Donald Trump's being prosecuted because he's Donald Trump. Because if it was really about the case, about keeping documents that are secret, where's Hillary's prosecution? Where's... Where's Joe Biden's prosecution of those documents that were next to the Corvette? Where's those, where are those kind of prosecutions? Where's Mike Pence, everybody who's kept documents inadvertently or on purpose? But he seems to be singled out. And it reminds me of, you know, his slogan, which makes sense. He said, uh, they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just standing in their way. And this is where we see they are so afraid of him that rather than meet him on the battleground of ideals... They are willing to try to, to usurp the judicial system in order to gain an advantage against him. 
in an extrapolation. They are using the government entity to determine winners and losers. Does that sound familiar? I mean, oh, yeah. whether it's the skill games or you're even your primary race. And this is the precedent well, we're setting. We're going down a slippery slope that we cannot recover from unless we get good everyday citizen legislators uh, and citizens to run and become legislators and then stay true to their principles. I say this a lot, and you know, maybe I talk about it too much, but I, I, I talk about precedents being set all the time. And then the things that we do and the things that we stand up and fight against. And I've, you know, getting a little bit up there on age now. And I, and I, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm concerned about what my kids and, you know, Cora's got a baby on the way and I'm, and I'm going to hopefully good Lord willing, have a healthy grandbaby here uh, in a couple months. And you still, you start, you start thinking about, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road. And as scary as it is today, it's, it's even worse. And it's like these people just don't think about the table they are setting or the precedent they are setting just by doing whatever benefits them without any repercussion or recourse or having to, you know, explain or, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of things going on right now that are really scary uh, moving forward. And I hope more people, We'll start to pay attention and take a deep breath and pause on, okay, how is what we're doing today going to affect us next month, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever the case may be? In my opinion, we don't do enough of that. Well, aren't you seeing not just the double standard in the prosecution of Trump and not of Hillary and not, uh, you know, not of Hunter Biden or Joe Biden? And we're seeing, you know, now looks like there may be allegations from credible witnesses that the FBI knew about where our own sitting president right now took bribes from a country in order to enact a certain agenda or to get favoritism for that agenda. You know, you're having these things happen almost one after another, and it's a double standard. It's, you know, it's it's a criminal charge for thee, but not for me. And then when you see, you know, just like when you're a kid and you're, you're you know, you're growing up and you see the actions of your parents and you think they're okay, it's validated, then everybody else starts acting like that. And that's the slippery slope, man. It's, it's, we are seeing something right now where we're moving far away from civility. We're not, you know, we're going to have our differences, but we try to work together is out the window uh, without, you know. The, and now, quite frankly, uh, I think what you're also seeing, though, is, a, is an electorate, and I, maybe you've seen it at the doors that you've knocked, but an electorate that's waking up to the old guard that's been running the show and saying, wait, this isn't right, that they're taking too much. They've moved too far. Uh, they're taking us for granted or they don't even care about us for at all in the equation of the decisions they make. And then now the peaceful revolution of the people standing up and taking back the controls of power so that we can actually make this the land of the free and the home of the brave and respect the brave and not yep. disrespect them by the by some of those philosophies you see in Washington, D.C., and even in Virginia right now, we get back to what matters most that the Founding Fathers created for us, and we stock, we knock off all this woke nonsense and let people live, but at the same time not cram down their throats an ideology that their values and their ideals and their upbringing, uh, you know, agrees with. It's, it's, I hope, I hope this is too a many, redemption. Too, too many people, even on the local level, certainly on the state level, on the federal level, there's too many people that are so concerned about, and you've said this before, 
having a title or power or perceived power that they sometimes get blinded by really why they're there or who they're there for or what the long-term ramifications. Like I tell Angie all the time when we, you know, when you and I have talked about going back to a minute for our lawsuit, how grueling that has been yeah. on top of how grueling this campaign has been. But going back to the, to the uh, lawsuit and all the things we're fighting, all the people we're fighting, um, what is comforting with that is the fact that we are potentially helping people not only now, but 5, 10, 15 years down the road, helping business owners and people and families protect their rights to run their businesses. And you can't put a price tag on that because you, you know, if we get the right kind of resolution to, to our lawsuit that we're hoping to try to get, which is no, nothing more than fairness right. and a level playing field and the rights, small business owners and family owned businesses having the rights to run their businesses without the government trying to put them out of business every year, then you and I will eventually one day have something to be proud of if we played a small part in leveling the playing field and and allowing some of these mom and pop owners and small businesses to fairly and lawfully and legally operate their business. And that's when I start getting bogged down with all the you know, all the things that bog us down right. when you're fighting. The pressure. Like being in a 15-round heavyweight fight. Right. I've never been hit by Mike Tyson, but I can only imagine that what I'm going through and have been through, and in some cases you too, you know, politics and this lawsuit and a business and a family. I mean, but that's what really keeps me motivated in some ways is that, you know, we really are in a position where we could actually help a lot of people, some people that we will never even know, and that's rewarding. Yeah, and... <laughs> And so if you take the philosophy and the logic of your opponent, so that means since you're fighting for small business and against monopolies and for freedom, that Youngkin's agenda, according to Emily Brewer, is against small businesses for monopolies and against freedom, uh, economic freedom. So right. see if that makes sense. See, that's why that makes no sense whatsoever. And an informed consumer, an informed voter can see right through that because they know we took on this fight. You didn't take on that fight because you were planning on running for public office. It's as a result of what you saw at the legislature that turned you off, that thought was so unfair. And your willingness to stand, step forward with courage and the unknown and take on that lawsuit. You and I did that together with nobody else. And to win, that that's what propelled you to say, hey, I want to make a difference. I don't want to be, you know, you're comfortable. You've got a good, comfortable life. You've worked hard for it. You have no business based on what you've built coming out here and going into this strange new world of politics, but yet you did it anyway. And it's not for you. It's for the same people that you're fighting for and why this lawsuit came about. I mean, that that's the principle and integrity that I'm talking about. And that's why, you know, uh, I am honored to be your friend, my man. And, and um, that's why I'll send you a check for your donation for your campaign, because I know you're going on to the general. But, but all right, as we wrap up this episode, because you've got a lot to do, what are you doing tonight? What's your last week of campaigning look like? What's it look like from here to Tuesday 
to get Hermie Sadler elected as the Republican nominee for the Senate District 17 in Virginia. Well, let's see. Uh-oh. That looks like a notebook. Hermie Sadler is pulling out what looks uh, to be a large notebook and going to recite his yeah. whole day from here till next Tuesday. Tonight, the uh, as soon as we... Well, the first thing I'm going to do when we finish taping is I've been summoned by Haley to bring her something to eat. So Haley wants McDonald's, six-piece nugget, large french fry, crispy crunchy, uh, and a large cup of ice water. That's it. Priority. So I'm going to go get that. Priority one. Uh, yeah. And then I'm going to Suffolk. I'm actually meeting with a uh, some members of the board of Virginia Farm Bureau down in Suffolk. Tomorrow morning. Now, now is that related. you and her at the same time or just you? Just me. Okay. And they're going to ask know. you questions or, you know, what are they doing? I hope so. Okay. I hope so. Yeah, I'm on. Um, of course, in my business, I deal with a lot of farmers. And so I have been going to visit a lot of people in the agricultural business kind of on the side, even outside of door knocking, going to visit and talking to them individually because I, I know and do a lot of business with some of those people and they, uh, they invited me to come speak to the board uh, of Farm Bureau down in Suffolk, and a, and a lot of the board is made up of farmers. Hmm. So uh, I'm going to do that tomorrow morning, non-campaign related, but I've got a meeting at 10 a.m. The representatives from Shell Motiva Petroleum are coming to town. So i got to meet with them in the morning, and then tomorrow afternoon I'm going out to Smithfield to Doorlock, uh, excuse me, Doorlock, and then I, uh, as I said before, I'm going to, uh, we have an event, in Smithfield uh, tomorrow night, being Wednesday night, the 14th, over at Daniel's uh, Performance Group, Charlie Daniel's over in Smithfield right. from 6 to 8. And then uh, Thursday, I'm door knocking. Friday, I'm door knocking in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I'm throwing out the first pitch for the uh, Chili Peppers over in Colonial Heights. Nice. Um, I'm going to do that. Are you and practicing then, at least so you don't throw like a... Oh, no. A I, got it. Okay. I got it. All right. <laughs> don't embarrass and us. And then... Uh, yeah. Saturday, I'm going to make a little trip around the uh, district, go speak to people at the, you know, at the uh, at the registrar's office last last day of early voting. So just kind of make a little trip around to some of those places. Then there's a a dinner I'm going to at Darwell's Ruiton Club. That's over in Dinwiddie. I'm going to do that. And then, uh, you know, Sunday is Father's Day. I've got um, a couple of church things I'm going to. Um that uh, I've been invited to, and then a Father's Day kind of a celebration late in the afternoon. Mike Cherry is actually coming to Emporia, and they're going to be uh, preaching at a local church. I'm going to that. Oh, great. Uh, Mike Cherry, good guy. That, and then, good guy. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Delegate. And then uh, then Monday's the last day, and then Tuesday's, Tuesday's it. So that'll be another trip around to, to get to as many precincts as I can get to. And then uh, Tuesday night, we're gathering at the barn um, to watch results come in and um, we'll, uh, see how, we, see how we shake up. But on Tuesday night at seven 30, we're going to gather at the, at the infamous Sadler barn there and, um, and see what happens. So we look forward to all those events. Okay. Well, I know it's going to go good, but you, you know, these are the last days you got to cram it all in. How many doors do you think you're going to, your campaign will have knocked on by the time Tuesday's election occurs? Um, I'm estimating 36 to 40,000. 36 to 40,000. That's amazing. Uh-huh. And you're 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 averaging from what I heard from your campaign about a twenty five percent thirty percent somebody opens the Connect door rate. yeah which is high yeah. that's high yeah I mean, higher than that 
when I doing it myself, but our, our team has actually had good numbers too. So it's, it's all been positive, man. It just, it really depends on what people believe and what people want. If you believe everything on, on my opponent's mailer, you're not going to vote for me and I don't blame you, but it's just not true. But I, 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 and you said it before, I think the people are smarter than that. They see through all that. Yeah. And they're really anxious to send somebody over there. They can actually, or will actually, uh, actually sit down and try to get things done. How many mailers do you think you're going to have out? And how many boxes have those mailers hit by the time the campaign ends? This prime mailer? Yeah, mailers. How many uh, mail pieces have you put out? 15, probably. 15, and how many reach? What's the reach? The universe. Um, uh, I'm going to guess probably 15,000. Per mailer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... Then the final thing, because I always love to hear See, that That's to our target audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people that are most likely to come out and vote. How many um, how many commercials are you running from now until Tuesday? Uh, well, they sent the report to me, but it's like 1,200 ratings points on, uh, on network television. And it started today. Okay. And we're also going to do a few things on radio, some local radio in some of the areas, a little bit tougher to reach. Areas I did some radio spots this morning that are going out to start today as well. But um, 1,300, 1,400 or so ratings points on network TV started today. That's a lot. We've time. been on cable TV. Okay. Yeah, we've been on cable All right. uh, well, TV for, for quite some time. Well, let's just for the uh, listening audience, why don't you send me some of those commercials? Because we don't get them out here in Southwest Virginia because you're not in our district. But send me those and maybe we'll just tag them on here to the end of this thing. I was looking at VPAP. It looks like. Only 2,300 people have voted early in the GOP primary for 17. Is that about the number you got? Uh, they sent that to me a little while ago. Hey, let me look, see what they got here. The report I got said 2,348 as of oh, this morning. Okay. So that's kind of low. That's kind of low. That's a that's a low turnout. You know, usually in large turnouts that... Ha- well, that, we estimated my, my guy... Comment, but low turnouts... My guy estimated... Uh, my guy estimated that um, we'd have 32 to 3,500 early votes. That's what he said before we started. We're kind of tracking on track to get close to that. And he estimated 12 to 15,000 people voting in you know voting total. That's not primary. that's not a bad turnout for a primary. And just think, your opponent wanted to have a convention with no more than 150 people there, so they could rig it. Yep. And that didn't work for them. And now you're letting the people decide. Who's going to be the Republican nominee for the 17th Senate District? Ermy Sadler, we've just heard, of course, I think this is really good. You know, we've 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 been um, kind of benchmarking your journey through this this political campaign. Our podcast has started from the first time when you got ticked off about something you saw was wrong and one decided to do something about it to fight it at the halls of the Capitol, in the halls of the judicial system. And now you've gone out into the public and sought their confidence and their vote from one of Emporia's favorite sons, Hermie Sadler. I'm, you know, with the closing argument that we've we've just listened to on this thing, is there anything you really want to say to that one voter who may not have made their mind up yet, but is planning on going and voting and is listening to this podcast right now before they go vote? Well, what I tell most people is uh, my opponent has probably done a pretty good job of of confusing uh, the voters, but for me, it's really, really simple. If you want an establishment politician 
to go do the work of the 17th district, then I'm not your, I'm not your guy. I think, and the reason I'm running is because, you know, I don't have any political experience, but I don't have any political baggage either. I don't owe anybody anything. Um, and I, I truly believe that this part of Virginia, the 17th district has been left behind, uh, Northern Virginia and even towards Virginia beach. They just got a lot of power, money, influence. They control a lot of the committees. And I just think that we have to put the right person over there that can not only move the agenda through for the governor and, and other conservative, um, you know, uh, philosophies and things of that nature, but we have to look after us and we haven't done that for a long time. And, uh, that's, I hope people will strongly consider that, uh, when they go, uh, make their choice between now and June 20th or on June 20th, uh, with what they want in Richmond. Couldn't have said it better myself. Might record it and use it in my own campaign. I have <laughs> I have a Democrat that's running against me, a goat farmer from Floyd, and uh, and it's always great that when anybody has the courage to to step up and want to run, and and certainly I thank you for that, and and I hope that more people that listen to this podcast and and see your campaign are inspired, not just by what you're trying to do, but also to try to do it themselves to make a difference in their neighborhoods and their in their towns and their counties and their cities and. Because there if we a lot don't, of people, you're, you're going to have the the bad people that are already there you don't want there. There are a lot of people in our district, the 17th, your district, and all across the Commonwealth of Virginia that really and truly need help and don't have the voice. And I'm stepping up to give them a chance to be that voice for them. And if they choose me, I'll humbly go serve them. If not, then... Uh, this journey has still been rewarding in a lot of other ways. And the, 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 what I have learned, the people I have met, certainly I'll, uh, remember it. And, um, but we've got one week left to go to put a, put a bow on this thing and we'll, uh, we'll keep digging and see what happens. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, of course you're listening to leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow our race team at www.sadlerstanleyracing.com. Uh, you'll get all the updates on how our race team and the Open Wheel Modified Smart Series and also the Wheeling Series for NASCAR are going. We've got a race coming up, and we'll talk about that next week uh, as that's coming up next week. We've been on a hiatus hiatus there as well, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week, Herm. So uh, clear your calendar. I know Tuesday is going to be a busy day for you, but let's try to knock something out on Wednesday so that everybody can hear. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the awesome, and hopefully a big win for Hermie Sadler on Tuesday the 20th. And I'll remind everybody, no matter where you are listening to this podcast, engage, involve yourself, involve yourself in local committees, involve yourself in local government, involve yourself by voting, because it's so important, not only the future of, of your area and community, but the future for your children and for your neighbor's children is just so important. And when you sit on the sidelines and you don't do anything, then you can't bitch about it. That's what my dad used to say. Get involved, get active, and let's make sure we're preserving what is good and right and just about this good life on this beautiful earth. Hermie, always good to be with my friend. Go get them, big boy. All right. It was uh, good to be back with you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks to everybody that always listens to Leaning Right. And turning left with Sadler in the Senate, we've had a lot of fun doing this. And um, and as you said, next week's show will kind of uh, be an unwind or reset. 
uh, whatever the case may be. And we time to get back on the racetrack too. You know, back by yep. the following Friday night, it'll be time to go racing again down at Ace Speedway. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Yep, I got a good feeling, my friend. I'm Virginia State Center Bill Stanley. And if I could vote in the 17th, I'd be leaning right over there, filling in that oval for Hermie Sadler. I appreciate that. I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, leaning right, and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. As always, thank you to our supporters and our listeners and our families and friends and everybody that makes us go. We appreciate y'all listening. It's going to be a great week. It's going to be a great episode next week, but make sure you listen to this one. Tell your friends about us. Talk to you next week. God bless you all. It's Conrad Thompson with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house, but did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right. We can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners, and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage, and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s, and it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you, what down payment do you want to make? And zero is an acceptable answer. And what monthly payment do you want? And then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.